You're listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life with Dan Simon. And so when I had an opportunity to uh, be married at the age of 15 in an arranged marriage to a man 10 years older than myself, I was all for it because it got me out of that situation. But it actually turned out that I was like I was jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. I am Freya Anana and I am a beautiful, loving, compassionate, powerful priestess of freedom and light. There's one. <laughs> I come from an incredibly repressive patriarchal society that is the opposite of everything that I am. And I went through that experience so that I could fully break free of the constraints that were placed around me and discover who I am at the deepest level. And through that journey, I empower others to also tap into the deepest essence of who they are. Welcome to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life, a podcast about people's personal journeys of discovery and recreation. I'm Dan Simon. We dig deep to understand the essence of each guest. How did they get to this point in their life? We all have stories to tell about our own lives that help the rest of us realize who we are and what we could become. As a life coach, I've always been intrigued by the stories people tell. What were the trials, tragedies, and triumphs they encountered while navigating through life? There are no mistakes in life, only experiences and lots of contrast. If we can have compassion for others, can't we have the same for ourselves? That's always been my personal mission, to remind people the truth of who they are, to remind them that they've done their very best. In each episode, that's what you'll find, a beautiful soul doing their best to create a life that's fulfilling and rewarding. Today's show has a very important message. We talk with Freya Anana about healing sexual shame and trauma. But as you'll hear, she was raised in the most repressive, shameful, dysfunctional environment imaginable. In fact, she was born into this cult and married off at 15, had 13 children, and at one time her Husband had a total of 25 wives. So her story of how she endured the kind of treatment and repression and escaped from all of that and is now helping other people to heal their own trauma is quite fascinating and powerful. So let's get right to the show. Freya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Daniel. I think we're going to have a very interesting conversation today based on... uh, what I know about what you've accomplished and uh, gone through in, in your life, so I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. But to start off with, um, why don't you tell our audience um, where you are both today, both physically and in terms of uh, what you and your husband are creating today. And let's just talk about the the current life before we before we uh, rewind. Okay, I'd be happy to. We are in beautiful Costa Rica in the southern zone. And we we came here because we felt drawn to come to this place for the healing work that we do, which is our deep passion. And 
we are creating deep healing and powerful transformation in the realms of sexual shame, trauma, and relationships to shift society's limitations of beliefs in these areas. Because when we're at war within ourselves and rejecting our own sexual essence, it creates war in our relationships around us. And we're holding a, a strong focus on the release and healing of trauma and shame from the body, mind, and spirit simultaneously so that we can integrate um, our whole selves and fully embody the powerful being that we came here to be. Each person that does this work, it makes a difference in the whole collective. It really does. Yeah, that sounds amazing and uh, and obviously very important. There's so much in uh, today's culture, so much uh, dysfunction, as you said, shame and and I think misunderstanding as well. Um, how long does yes. the process How long does the process take when you uh, when somebody comes to visit visit you in Costa Rica? Well, those who choose into doing like the the um, in person intensive retreats, we have two five-day retreats with them as well as our online program work which is really foundational work and body level processes as well and those who aren't really quite ready or prepared to come for the hands-on work can also engage in the online um, program which they do get interaction with us and it creates really powerful shifts and we wanted to have something that that people who weren't really quite ready to come to Costa Rica and jump in at that depth and intensity where they could really create some powerful shifts in their lives. That sounds, that sounds awesome. And, and I will post in the show notes all the information about people for people that want to find out more about, uh, about your work. We'll post all of that awesome. as well. Um, so you've been in Costa Rica for how long? Just about two and a half years now this month and uh what what caused uh, you and your husband to choose uh costa rica from uh, uh the north american lifestyle uh it was it was really coming to me powerfully just in internal guidance like um it was just like a deep powerful awareness that that's where we needed to be for this work and I hadn't even been to Costa Rica yet at the time and then when I came here for the first time I was like yes this is it and I ended up in this particular area of Costa Rica and I just felt the energy and vital life force that is here in the jungle and then learned more about the the peacefulness of the people here they don't even have a military they don't believe in a military and haven't for over 50 years and then there's the the, the clear clean energy of the the clear air and pure water and it's just a powerful place to release and integrate and then when i learned more about the um the actual astrology of the planet like the energetic ley lines of the planet and that costa rica is intersected by the ley line that goes from the bermuda triangle to the easter islands and there's actually an energetic thing that's happening here a vortex it totally explained it and it's all about healing at fifth circle which is the the um healing of that rift between the masculine and feminine and integrating our sexuality. So it all made sense after I learned this, but I didn't learn all that until after we came here. I just listened to my internal guidance and here we are and it's powerful. 
Wow, and you know, it's clear to me, and we've had conversations before in terms of how you operate out of your in intuition, how you can understand things without having any logical reason why, but uh, yes. it's fascinating how you guys just uh, uh, gravitated towards, uh, towards the area you're in, and I also love the fact that you're at altitude in Costa Rica, so that it looks like an ideal climate. As well. It is. Yeah, it's not so hot and sticky like on the beach, but it's only about an hour away, so it's easy to go and spend the day. It's the perfect area, yes. How would you explain, you mentioned the rift between the masculine and the feminine. As you notice it, either with your clients or in the, um, just in culture, how, how would you describe that, that rift or that, discon that disconnection in today's world? Well, with the shift into the, the um, patriarchal dominator culture that we have now, which has been in place for thousands of years now, it, um, it couldn't be that way. It, it couldn't, it didn't support having that, that feminine leadership that was present before and the honoring that went through because women became property as this dominator culture and the agri agricultural um, age came into play because then men wanted to be handing down their property to their own progeny and so that meant that they owned the women they owned the children they owned the land and it became a, a society of having power over and um, taking over other countries and other people and a culture of destruction and what we see as rape culture and this happens because when uh, women are attacked in this way sexually it actually has a connection to the brain and it changes how women respond and think and makes them easier to control and then if you add to that shame around our sexuality which that orgasmic energy is creation it is the sacred part of who we are and it's our connection with our higher selves and divine source when you take that away then people become disconnected from who they are and because that's in our inner nature there's always that you know desires like in men as well you have this um, desire to come together and experience that that deep orgasmic sexual bliss with someone that you care about but when that desire is shamed and you're made to feel bad then then so often it comes across in religious teachings that our sexual desires are something to be subdued and overcome and then that goes out into the world around us and everything is something to be subdued and have power over and then we have this right war that exists all around us and that war begins with in and it's that masculine feminine anything seen as feminine is less than and something to be subdued and um even in men they don't allow their feminine qualities to come through and all of us have feminine and masculine in this and it's that balance and acceptance of all of that that creates a full and integrated being. So when men are uh, despising the feminine energy within themselves and other man, men, then 
we have what we have today where you have this man box culture um, that masculinity is supposed to look a certain way and anything that's not that is is not okay right yeah that totally makes sense and it's you know it's a, descri a description of uh, this this function and anytime you have yes. a, a, a power struggle and again i think so many relationships uh devolve or even start out as power struggles around uh, around money around control around uh, mm -hmm. career and what we when we get into more detail in terms of your story certainly your description yes. of, of uh, the patriarchal culture and treatment of women uh is certainly correct over the past but when the audience finds some more detail in terms of uh your upbringing in I guess you would call one of the most extreme examples of that you could possibly live in. I think it's uh, it, it will be very interesting for the audience to hear about uh, about mm. uh, uh, that experience as well, because uh, uh, you certainly know of what you speak with regard regard to being uh, 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 being dominated as a woman in terms of the culture you came up with. But we'll get to that. In a very shortly. Uh, do this for me, if you would, Freya. If you could, uh, if you only had six sentences to describe yourself to somebody about what you are about, about your experience in life as you show up, what would be the six sentences that would, uh, would come to mind for you? Oh, wow. Mm. I am Freya Anana, and I am a beautiful, loving, compassionate, powerful priestess of freedom and light. There's one. <laughs> I come from an incredibly repressive patriarchal society that is the opposite of everything that I am. And I went through that experience so that I could fully break free of the constraints that were placed around me and discover who I am at the deepest level. And through that journey, I empower others to also tap into the deepest essence of who they are. Because by being in the essence of who I am, reclaiming my sexuality and expression as this powerful priestess, I give everyone around me permission to do the same. Thank you, yeah. And you came from a, a place, a culture of repression and control and domination that is the opposite of who you are today. Yes. So that, and the reason for that was so you could discover who you really were and experience that with the maximum amount of contrast my words not yours mm -hmm. so you could uh, reclaim that so you could reclaim that essential power of who you are and demonstrate that to other people as you're doing today yes exactly beautifully stated so let's uh, go backwards and tell the audience uh, about the start of your life and your and your childhood and, and what happened? Okay, yes, I was born into and raised in a very patriarchal religious organization that practices polygamy and arranged marriage. And I 
that's just how I was born and raised. I didn't really know anything else, even though uh, we were isolated as a family in uh, southern Alberta. And I grew up in a society that was predominantly mainstream Mormon, which did not like the, the fundamentalist Mormon group that I was in because they felt it reflected badly on their history because they no longer practice uh, arranged marriages and polygamy. And so that kind of brings up a source of shame for them. So our family was really highly persecuted, going to school in the public school there. And so when I had an opportunity to uh, be married at the age of 15 in an arranged marriage to a man 10 years older than myself, I was all for it because it got me out of that situation of being isolated in a community that didn't share the same beliefs and values. But it actually turned out that I was like I was jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. All right, so let's let's can we can we hold off for a second on that because I want to ask you um, mm-hmm. what is, so it, your primary family was that was a polygamous family. There were there were multiple wives in the family that you were raised in. Yes, my father had two wives. My mother was much younger than he. He was she was his second wife. And. So it wasn't an extreme, as we're going to talk about later, with there were 25 wives, but right. that was a polygamous. What was, um, what, what do you recall in terms of growing up when, in your young years in terms of, because obviously that's what you grew up in. It's just, and again, I know you talked about the ostracism and the stuff from the outside, but what were the initial um, feelings in terms of how this whole setup was and how you were treated but how did how did uh, before you got the ostracism the stuff from the outside how was the that the, how were the family dynamics uh the fi- the family dynamics were interesting because um the the first wife my father's first wife was actually quite um her energy was more controlling i guess and so Quite honestly, I would say that she ran the family, and um, there are some polygamous, other polygamous families that that is very much true for, but it's not um, looked on as a good thing because the man's supposed to be in control. Um, my father was a, a very kind person and not really very... Um, dominating, I guess you would say, which was different than a lot of men in the polygamous religion. So you were treated uh, uh, with love and kindness from in your primary family? Uh, My dad was, my dad was um, somewhat loving and my other mother was, was also that way. My mom tended to be very reserved. She was not affectionate either in her words or her actions mostly. And she grew up that way. Her father was, her father and mother weren't affectionate either. And it was a very incredibly repressive, sexually repressive environment as well. So I never really saw any affection much between my mom and my dad. And yeah, it it was interesting. It's, you don't see that. It's like, it's all hidden. And the belief is that 
sex is for procreation only and that anything else is evil. So that's hmm. it. And were there other, other siblings in the household? Yes, I was the oldest of seven for my mom. Uh, my, my dad and his first wife had three children of their own that were all raised and grown before I was ever born. And um, they also had three adopted children who also were all raised and grown before I was born. I knew most of them, but I had an older sister who I never met who died before I was born. So. Hmm. And uh, so what was the relationship with the, uh, your natural siblings? You were the oldest of seven. Mm -hmm. It was all right. It, it was it was complex in that because of the kind of uh, community we were in where our family was ostracized, it was really difficult because not only was I going through the bullying and everything that happened with myself, but my younger brothers would also get beat up at school regularly for because they were in this family that had different religious beliefs. And it speaks to what these children were hearing in the home from their own parents, I'm quite sure. So what would you say your outlook on yourself was when you were, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old? Were you happy? Were you, were you felt trapped? What, where were you I as a child? I felt trapped. I didn't. I didn't want to be there. I, I wanted to, I had this idea that if I could just be in a community that believed the same as we did, it would all be great. And, but I had so little self-esteem by the time that I got married that I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I thought I just had to keep the peace. And from what I hear and bits that I remember about myself before starting school, I was a far more outgoing personality and friendly and confident, and that quickly got squelched once I started school. So it's, it set me up for the situation that I ended up experiencing through 28 years of being married in that religion. So tell us, at 15 you had an arranged marriage, and did you leave Alberta? or? Yes, I moved to southern British Columbia in the Creston, British Columbia area that had a um, community of a few hundred people who were all in the same all FL, polygamist FLDS. FLDS, okay. Mm -hmm. So how did that progress then? Well, um, both my husband at the time and his first wife were 10 years older than myself. And um, I was expected to just step up and take on a lot of the child care and chores in the family. And the first wife was essentially uh, in charge of what went on in the home pretty much, although uh, my husband was very much a proponent of the man is in charge. He wasn't going to allow that. Uh, at least he said he wasn't allowing that kind of thing. But in the home, that's just what happened. Uh, he didn't believe in being fair. He felt like that if a man was being fair with his wives, well, then they were running the show. So it was more yes. or less, more or less a, a dictator. Question of being in charge, yeah, in in a way. But he could be quite charismatic and and um, 
he certainly was a lot more compassionate than than other men who came before him because the the older generations tended to be a lot more um, about corporal punishment in the family and and uh, a lot of abuse would go on in school even with teachers and he did put a stop to that kind of thing but uh, the emotional trauma which i don't believe he would even see himself as um, inflicting emotional trauma he had a belief that if women weren't happy in the situation that was their problem and they just weren't being sweet they lost the spirit of god they were jealous if you asked for anything more than he was willing to give so it, it was yeah emotional wow. dictatorship for sure so at 15 as a as still a child an adolescent you were married and responsible for for doing most of the work in the household of of other children from your your husband's first wife and did a you, lot of the work <laughs> and when did you begin having children i had my first um, baby when i was just just uh, just after i turned 17 and it would have been sooner except that i had a miscarriage prior to that when i was still 15. So, was there, how would you describe what the relationship did for you? I mean, and I can't really even comprehend because obviously you were indoctrinated your whole life in terms of this is the way it's supposed to be and you went along with, and I guess you were happy to get out of, you know, Southern Alberta in terms of the ostracized, being ostracized, but the, the, the whole culture was obviously, was, um, not respectful of women uh, or of anybody in any in any way. How, how did you even deal with that? How did how did you cope with that for all these years? Well, it was just a matter of of hanging on and coping with it, and um, not really knowing anything else. Believing the whole thing is in these fear based patriarchal cultures. You're told this is the way it's supposed to be. And, and if you aren't happy in it, there's something wrong with you. And if you don't do what you're told and be obedient and submissive to your husband, you're going to hell. And so it, it does feel like you're trapped. And the only way I was able to move out of that is by realizing that there actually wasn't any truth in it. And I had to get to a point of being pretty desperate really um like literally there were periods of time that i didn't even want to be on the planet anymore and if it hadn't been for my children i would have left right and to be that one that the, the mother who's got these people to take care of these these children to take care of and to um also be a nurse and recognize that the symptoms of of feeling suicidal and having these thoughts was pretty terrifying. And the other thing that's hard for me to get my arms around is this idea that you're having children and, and obviously there's got to be, as a mother, you have to love your children, but it's got to be coupled with resentment for how it all, uh, how, you know, what the family dynamics were and uh, mm -hmm. 
it's just this uh, huge contradiction that again, I guess, as you said, you cope the best you can, but um, this tell us more in terms of when, when did the idea that this whole thing was really not right and that the brainwashing it under, when, when did you get the first glimmer that there was some way out of this situation? Well, it, I was probably um, several years, at least seven years before I actually left that I really wanted to leave, but I was still um, kept in that place of believing that I had to um, be faithful to the end and maybe something better would happen afterwards. And then my husband started talking about how the next life is just a continuation of this one. And I was feeling like, you know, I have no relationship. I don't have any real intimacy or connection with this person that's supposed to be my forever and all eternity life partner. And, um, and, and then it, it felt like that somehow he could tell from a mile away if, if you're ovulating and that would be the one time in months that he would show up. Hmm. And, and birth control was not allowed. So it was like, okay, I, there's going to be an eternity of this isolation and non-connection, not having partnership and just being eternally pregnant and having more babies who the fuck wants that? And so it's like this place of, of fear and yet really not even wanting what they were holding out as eternal life and salvation. So it was a, a pretty desperate place to be, to feel all that. And So, um, so how, many, yeah. how, how many more children did you have, Trey? And, and when was it? How long till you actually left? How many years? I had... Um, I had 12 children before leaving the community. And let's see, my youngest at that time was seven when I left. Or he turned, he turned seven right after I left. Yeah. And then um, I was on my own there for just about, just about a year before I actually left the community. But I left the relationship and, my, and the religion um, 10 years, over 10 years ago now. So it was quite uh, an intense journey because there was a lot of fear. I mean, even when I finally had the courage to leave and realized that there wasn't any truth in what was being taught and that that was all that was keeping me there was this belief that somehow I would end up going to hell if I didn't stay there. And, and then realizing that their version of heaven was hell for me. So along the way, did you have anybody that could support you? Did you have any connection with other women or any other influences that, that helped you to, to uh, see some hope? Or, or there well, was I, had a, I had a friend who was actually the mother of my oldest daughter's husband, so my son-in-law, and she had left before I did. And she said to me one day, uh, how does it feel to be alone, surrounded by people? And I, I just looked at her and it hit me. That's exactly where I was, as I'm in this family of over 20 women. And I was alone. There were 20 different wives at that time? Yeah, there were right around 20. At, at 
the the most that um, my husband ever had at one time was 25 and then some left and then when I left he still had 17 wives unbelievable yeah it's pretty crazy but I realized that I finally realized that I didn't I, I knew I didn't agree with what was going on for years and then he ended up marrying another young girl um, that year that I left he was it was causing a lot of uh, emotional issues with all of the women because nobody's getting their needs met in this kind of a situation with so many women it's impossible it's literally impossible for anyone even if they do have some emotional sensitivity and availability to meet the needs of multiple people and so it's like to have more than two or three people that you're trying to really connect with on a deep level it, it just isn't going to work for anyone and i i can't blame him for not being able to and for being more connected with some people than others because really honestly we all are going to connect with specific people at a deeper level than others and when we're not even given a choice as to who our partnerships are it just makes sense that you're going to have a deeper relationship with or, or prefer some people over others and so this well, organization is really abusive to everyone well, except for the man that's in charge of the family right it works it obviously works for one person in the family it, it does because he was obviously having his needs met and he really didn't even have to make an effort to connect with anyone to have that happen and 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 yet at the same time to um, have that many women put under your care and told to take care of them that's it's impossible it's impossible and uh, of your children are some still within the religion or did they all leave with you or what happened there um there's there's my 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 oldest is still in the religion his his wife is very committed to it she was raised in it as well and and um, um, one of my daughters kind of sort of <laughs> but the rest really really are not and it's been beautiful to watch how their lives have expanded and grown and and see them choosing a different way of relating. And some of them, it's because they've seen how Michael treats me in our relationship that has given them um, the knowing that, or the understanding that something much deeper and more is possible in relationships. So to see them choosing into something different has been beautiful. Yeah, we all need role models, and you know, if the only role model you ever have is one of of, of dysfunction and of uh, poor treatment. Yes, and yes. that was one of the things that gave me the courage to leave is that realization that by staying, I was actually supporting something that I didn't agree with, right. that was wrong at the deepest level, and that it was teaching my daughters that that's all they deserved in a relationship because I was settling for it. And also teaching my sons that it was okay to show up that way in their relationships. And it's not. 
right? And so all we can do is be an example and make make choices instead of living on uh, on our old story, what we were taught. Wow! Yeah, it's amazing. So, in the in the brief time we have left, Freya, um, just talk a little bit more about the the discoveries you made, your transition, and now you said you left almost ten years ago now, of mm -hmm. of creating the life that you have that you told us about and 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 with a, a new husband that's completely different. Tell us about how difficult that was of moving through that transition and learning the practices you're doing now. How how did that, that all um, uh, play out in uh, over this these last I guess ten years? Yes, it's been an amazing journey. It's it really has. And going from uh a situation where women really had no voice. Um, women's pleasure did not matter. I literally only had one orgasm in the 28 years that I was in that marriage. And um, I had 12 what? children. And wow. I had all of those 12 children before I ever experienced that first orgasm. And then nothing more ever happened. And I finally left. And to go th through that, um, you know, and really, honestly, men are not taught about women's pleasure or anything. And I mean, it's all completely sexually repressed. <laughs> and so it's, it's like the level of shame is incredible. I, I wasn't even allowed to make any kind of noise, even if I was feeling a bit of pleasure, because God forbid that anybody else in the family know that there's anything going on. <laughs> right? So it's, it's so incredibly repressive. And to go from that to creating the deep healing in, within myself and being with someone who my pleasure absolutely mattered deeply and go from you know not ever experiencing orgasms and deep pleasure to having multiple orgasms and the more healing i've done the more my body has opened up to that amazing um energy that that is an innate part of who we are if we just allow ourselves to remember that and really to remember we have to release the trauma because that trauma gets in the way of our full expression and ability to even feel and experience that pleasure and allow it to run through us. And this is where that healing of the masculine and feminine is essential because to, for, for a woman to fully completely surrender into her pleasure of what's possible, she has to feel safe. Right. And that, that means that, that her partner, whether it's a man or a woman, has to hold that masculine space, that part of them, so that she can fully surrender and allow her body to experience what's possible. And that grows and grows and grows exponentially. And we've been taught not to trust that. Oh, so that deep shame has been the greatest tool of manipulation that religions have used to keep people repressed and controllable throughout the ages and it's still working. <laughs> so that's my that's... passion is to guide that integration within people, even men, 
most men think an ejaculation is an orgasm and it's really the equivalent of a little pelvic sneeze compared to what's possible for them. Right. Yeah, it's just, it's shocking. And I, the, you know, the thing that comes to mind for me is, man, how could, how could people be able to do such a sales job on something that's so inauthentic and phony and, and, and unnatural, but that's certainly what's happened over thousands of years. Um, yeah, it, 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 hundreds of years of the inquisitions where women were burned and beaten and hung and flayed for any kind of power and their daughters made to witness it. And it, it took a lot to create us being in this place where we are now and turning women against each other and making women fear other women. And it's, it's, it's in our DNA. And that's why we're still stuck here now. We have to do the healing that that heals not just ourselves but those generations that came before through our dna we have to heal it because then we we shift the dna moving forward well you know what i thank you for the work that that you've done and it's still amazing to me that that you've gone through the process of healing yourself uh in a way that uh, i think many have have not had the strength to do and again the kinds of extreme things you've gone through are unbelievable but i think that within our society there's there's a, there's a basic element of, of mistrust and, and creating in a relationship an intimate relationship that's based on trust um, even with the best intentions for two people you know based on uh, my own experiences and based on um, many of the people I've worked with and coached as well is uh, is a huge challenge, but it's also very important. Uh, you know, and you approach your work and do things differently than what I do. But I think there's a lot of us, both men and women, that are that are striving to bring healing and bring connection together and bring uh, relationships that are that are whole and wholesome. And because uh, those are very magical kinds of things that are yes. that are um, uh, not evident often enough but it's it's uh, certainly worth the effort to uh, to create that in your own life uh, as you've done and, and, and as I have done and to help yes. other people with it because um, I don't know that there's anything that's more important than that uh, Freya. So, no there isn't that that really is the most important thing and the thing is relationships are incredibly important because in a relationship we act as catalysts for each other's growth we act as mirrors um, showing each other what has not yet been healed and that's when triggers come up and so those triggers are just indicators of something that still needs to be healed within so when we approach relationships in that way and are both willing to do the deep work required to heal even when a relationship is going through a, a lot of difficulty because of the trauma that each person has experienced in their past it is possible to do the work we never we never promote fixing a relationship we promote right. each person doing the deep work and then coming together from that space and creating a brand new relationship that's really authentic and coming from who they really are. So in closing, Freya, if you had a, 
a young woman just coming into adulthood that says 21 years old that's regardless of what her past experiences have been what would you what would you tell her as she moves forward to and is interested in creating a, a wholesome healthy partnership and relationship what what would be advice that you would give her hmm that's a beautiful question um i would i would encourage her to um, really go deep into her own healing work so that when she does draw in a partner that she is actually drawing that partner in from the space of really authentically being who she is and not drawing in someone from the place of wearing a mask and hiding who she is because then you draw in people who really aren't aligned and and the relationships don't tend to work out well when you're not really when you're hiding when or when you don't even really know yourself who you are and and when we move forward in the space of healing and choose a path of self-reverence which reverence is um deep respect honoring tinged with awe and that is what our soul's expression deserves from our from ourselves first then um then we can make our choices and decisions in life from holding ourselves in the place of the highest regard and what is in our own highest and best good is actually in the highest and best good of anyone we're in relationship with and our children and whoever is in our lives because it that is the truth and full expression of who we are and we're cheating ourselves and others out of that experience and the lessons that come from it if we're being anything else beautifully said Freya and I couldn't agree more that if a woman is is not going to show up as her true self then we all uh, we all uh, fall short you know we all are missing out on something because we want to see yes. we really are and uh, you know, the days of, uh, of subjugating and dominating are, uh, are uh, I think coming to an end how long that's going to take I don't know but uh, what you said in terms of having reverence for yourself and being willing to show up exactly as you are without pretending uh, is a very powerful place to come from. And, and there's a lot, many, many women now that are beginning to do that, that are there yes. as, as role models and examples. And it's interesting because women have a, have a huge place in terms of what you're doing as a, as a role model, showing what you've been through. And men have a huge place in terms of holding space for women to move into that space. And it's, it's, you know, there's, there are different capacities and different functions in uh, both men and women in terms of helping, helping people to grow. And, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And that's one of the things that about the dominator culture that, the warrior archetype has been misconstrued to mean violence and really the sacred masculine warrior archetype is all about being the pathfinder the way shower the the protector of the sacred mother earth and femininity which like the feminine energy which is the energy of creation and so we have to shift this and for men to realize that is going to be huge. With that, Freya, I have to thank you very much for contributing and telling your story on the, on the 
podcast today. It's just a, a beautiful story, and I wish uh, you and your husband, Michael, uh, much more success as you move forward, uh, helping yourselves and helping other people that show up in Costa Rica or show up online, and we'll post all the information in the show notes as well, but uh, it's truly a powerful story, and uh, and uh, my congratulations for what you have created. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. <laughs> Okay, thanks for listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life. If you like today's show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. All of that would be greatly appreciated. You can find me at dansimon.co, on Instagram, dansimontv, or Twitter, at dansimontv. Thanks for listening to the show today. New show will be out on Monday. Have a great week.